Welcome to Volumes of Fear. We're excited to bring you the first show from our new recording location at East Ridge Public Radio. Why are you staring at me? I'm just making sure you're using the equipment right. I know this is sort of new for you, and I want to make sure things go off without a hitch. It's fine, Dewey. You don't need to stand so close. I know what I'm doing. I read the show introduction, then I hit the button. Which button? This one? Hey! Don't touch! Prepare yourself for a tale of terror and suspense. Presented by Crimson Knight Productions. Volumes of fear. No, no, this. You know nothing about this. This is my butt. This is no, no, no. What's going on? No, 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 this. Get hands off. You know nothing Would about this. Would you please stop? Ah, thank you. My apologies, Royal Lunatics. Seems as though our production assistant and the station's intern can't quite get on the same page. Nonetheless, I want to welcome all of you to the scripted horror comedy podcast, Volumes of Fear. I am your host, Piedmont Montgomery. We're in the studios of East Ridge Public Radio, and we're joined by a special guest, one Milton Brownwell. On today's episode of Volumes of Fear, Mr. Brownwell is going to share an experience that he had recently, an experience that brought him into the presence of a truly macabre entity and why this episode of Volumes of Fear is called Always Read the Fine Print. Milton, welcome to Volumes of Fear. Thank you, Piedmont. Now, on Volumes of Fear, the content and stories we have shared have dealt with all sorts of supernatural creatures. Vampires, werewolves, ghosts, ogres. Why, I've even had an experience with a Sasquatch. But the creature that you recently had an interaction with is something a bit new to our menagerie. Milton, please, tell our listeners about your recent interaction and the ensuing plight that has befallen you. Well, my plight started a few weeks back at my job. I'm a laborer down at the Mui Chewy Beef Jerky Plant. I've been there for about ten years, and management was always really cool there. They always took care of us. We got treated fairly well, and the pace wasn't anything crazy. They were good about time off and giving us breaks. One of the great things was that managers always stocked the break room with donuts and coffee. It's a little thing, I know, but, you know, that sort of thing kind of goes a long way. Uh, But that's also where I suppose my troubles first started. So it was a Wednesday, and uh, I'd gone into the break room, at break time, of course, and I was looking forward to my daily donut and coffee. But when I got in there, I found that there weren't any donuts or coffee. I saw my co-worker, Janie, sitting at a table in the break room, so I asked her where everything was. The coffee and donuts are gone, and apparently not coming back. What do you mean, gone? (laughs) Did Stanley eat them all? Didn't you see the memo? What memo? Management put memos in our mailboxes. They're making big changes here, Milton. I hadn't had the chance to look at my mailbox at that point, so Janie gave me the memo she had. I was taken aback. Managers were hiring a new supervisor, and this lady was making a ton of changes around the plant. These changes weren't very welcome. Can you believe it? They're making pay cuts but expecting us to raise our quotas. They're also cutting our break times down and they won't be providing donuts or coffee for us anymore. 
Who's this new supervisor? I don't know. I haven't met her yet. But this is absurd. As soon as Janie said that, the door to the break room swung open and our new supervisor came in. She was a large Amazonian woman with a mean, unpleasant look on her face. Like a grade school lunch lady that hadn't gotten a cigarette break all day. What do we have here? Hi, you must be our new supervisor. It's very nice to meet you. My name's Milton, and this is Janie. We're on Jerk Chopper Crew 5. I am Brenda, and I asked a question, and I want a response. We were just on our break. On your break? Is that so? Think again, goobers. Break time is over. Now, back to work. Actually, Brenda, our, our break just started. And now it's over. Well, I mean, usually we get 10 to 15 minutes, and I just got here. Don't sass me, pork chop. I said break is over. I want you two slackers to get back out there and work on increasing your quotas. But our break just began. Brenda didn't like what was going on. Somehow the look on her face went from unpleasant to a nasty, nostril-flaring scowl like a kid who went to a rich person's house while trick-or-treating and got a bunch of Mary Jane peanut butter kisses. Ugh. I'm gonna give you two ham and eggers a choice. Get back to the grind or answer to boss man Brenda. So right away I got a bad feeling in my stomach. This woman had a look about her that scared me. She was physically imposing and her demeanor was so intimidating. I looked at Janie, and she looked at me, and without saying anything, we simply headed out the door and went back to work. The next few days were interesting, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, Brenda marched around the plant, up and down the aisles, and she always carried a paddle. She would randomly smack it on chairs and workbenches. Whack! Oh, man, it was, it was awful. So, no matter how hard we worked to meet the new quota levels, she would just berate us. The place began to feel like a sweatshop, literally. She turned the thermostat in the plant way up because she felt we'd be more productive if it felt tropical. This went on for a little over a week. Then on a Friday afternoon, just before the end of the day, Janie accidentally dropped a tray of her mint-flavored beef jerky onto her foot. It was a complete accident, but Brenda was on her like useless on a politician. Oh no! Janie, are you okay? What just happened? Uh-oh. What's the meaning of this? Are you two milk duds trying to take another break? I accidentally dropped this tray of mint-flavored beef jerky on my foot. Oh, you did? Oh, are you okay, dearie? Is your little footsie okay? Or should I go over and grab one of the big jerky knives and chop it off? Then maybe you won't have to worry about your little footsie. What? That's so not right. That's what's going to happen if you don't pick this mess up and get back to work. Whoa. Hey, hey there, Brenda. Uh, I think you're being a little hard on her. Wow. I never knew you were an expert in management. Maybe you should start teaching classes on the subject down at the university, professor. No, no. You know what? This, this is a little much, don't you think? I mean, you're, you're threatening to, you know, chop someone's foot off. Guess what, Applesauce? You just made boss man Brenda's list. Brenda had a psychotic look on her face. She took a giant step towards me and got right in front of me. 
Her teeth were clenched and her eyes turned this bizarre, vomitous hue. I was legitimately scared of what she was going to do when... The work bell sounded, which meant my shift was done and the workday was over. I was saved by the bell and eager to try and escape the wrath of Brenda. Janie had scurried off to safety and I was trying to slowly move away from Brenda. When she grabbed my arm and through her clenched teeth, she said, Listen here, chicken nugget. Come Monday, I'm going to cover you in ranch and eat you alive. I left work that day feeling deflated. I drove home in a haze of pessimism and defeat. I remember being in such a funk that night that I didn't even eat dinner. I just sat on the couch and stared off. I got lost in thought. I loved working at the Mui Chewy Beef Jerky Plant. I started there right out of high school. I enjoyed the work and liked my co-workers. This job had given me my livelihood for a number of years. But now it had all changed. Now I was thinking about quitting and getting as far away from that place and boss man Brenda as I could. I couldn't have been the only one. My co-workers must have felt the same way. I sat there on the couch, lost in these thoughts for several hours until the doorbell rang. I wasn't expecting anyone, but when I opened my door, I found my neighbor, Darren, standing there. Hi, Milton. Sorry to bother you. I'm in a bind. Do you have a German-made French press coffee maker that was manufactured in the late 1960s? A German-made French press coffee maker that was manufactured in the late 1960s? Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, come on in while I get it. Thanks. Darren had moved in next door about a year ago. He was a unique guy who collected all sorts of weird stuff. He was sort of bookwormish, but he was always up to something interesting. He came inside when I went and got him the coffee maker. Thanks, Milton. I'll bring you back next week if that's okay. Yeah, whatever. Uh, no rush. You okay? You seem a little down. Oh, it's, it's my job. Uh, this week hasn't been all that great. Rather lousy, to be honest. You're at the Cracker Factory, right? No, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a laborer at the Mui Chewy Beef Jerky Plant. Oh, that's right. Well, I'm sorry to hear that things have been lousy. If you need to talk, I'm a good listener. Maybe I can help. Truth be told, I actually didn't know Darren very much at all. Yet, I found myself venting to him about work. I told him how the place had been great. Then Brenda began running the show, and now things were terrible. I felt bad because I probably chewed his ear off with my woes for about ten minutes or so, but he was a good listener, and I appreciated having someone to talk to. Wow, Milton. I'm sorry to hear all this. No, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer and lay all of my professional problems on you. Hustling can be hard for players sometimes. It's no worries at all. In fact, I may have something that could help you. Give me just one minute. Darren quickly left for his house and returned a few minutes later, carrying a large book. I'm not saying I've been in your exact situation, but I have had troubles of my own. This book helped me, actually. It's called How to Use an Evil Creature to Improve Your Life. Interesting. What's it about? Well, it teaches you how to use an evil creature to improve your life. It's really sort of unique. The book is a guide to summoning evil entities that will help you decrease your life's troubles. I appreciated Darren's help, but I was really confused by what he had given me. This book seemed a bit silly and sort of stupid, but Darren insisted that I look through it. Just flip through it a bit and see if maybe there's something that could help you. I know it seems outlandish and probably unbelievable, but this book was something that helped me out once. Just do yourself a favor and make sure you read all the fine print. I thanked Darren and then he took off. 
I figured I was going to spend the whole weekend sitting around stewing about my work trouble, so maybe at some point I need to laugh and read a little of Darren's book. Eventually, on Saturday afternoon, I decided to pick up the book and flip through it. This book was full of, well, I'm not sure how else to say it, but magical spells that would help you summon mythological creatures, like demons, mummies, ogres. I started chuckling almost immediately, and thinking about how Darren had pulled a fast one on me. I kept flipping through the book, despite not believing any of its claims. Then I came to the section on goblins. It said that goblins were grotesque little monsters who loved to cause mischief, and that they were extremely effective in ridding problems from people's lives. I couldn't help but think how silly all this was. There was a long-winded explanation of what goblins were and where they came from, followed by several pages of very small print. The kind of small print that you're supposed to read before you sign a contract? I didn't think much about those pages and what they said because I got caught up on seeing the magical words to summon a goblin. And these words were actually quite silly. But for whatever reason, I spoke the magical words out loud. Contreras, Cots, Marte, Garcia. After saying them out loud, I tossed the book aside. I didn't believe in any of that stuff, but the book at least took my mind off work. I turned on the TV and began flipping through channels when a few minutes later, I heard a knocking at my door. Just like when Darren stopped by, I wasn't expecting anyone. Nonetheless, I got up and opened the door. At first, I thought it was a prank, because no one was there. I closed the door and was heading back to the couch when there was more knocking. I wasn't in the mood for games. So I decided that whoever was trying to prank me was going to get an earful. Alright, who's the little stinker trying to prank me? Hey. Down here. I looked down, and when I saw what it was that had been knocking, my eyes went wide and my jaw dropped. Standing on my doorstep was a little creature, for lack of better words. It was about three feet tall, with green, hairless skin, pointy ears, and an ugly little face. It had a mouth of sharp teeth and was very wiry in build. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was a goblin. Well, you gonna invite me in? Or are we going to do business out here? Uh, but, but you're... You're... A goblin. That's right. You called. I'm here. You're real. You bet, Marshmallow. And I'm going to be real mad if we don't get this party started soon. Now come on. Let's boogie. I was in total disbelief. Here it was, a Saturday afternoon in the boring, economically depressed town of Eastridge, and a goblin was at my house. I didn't know what else to do, so I let him in. Nice crib. Modest, not flashy. Thanks. So, I imagine you're still in shock, yeah? In shock? Your mouth is still hanging open like you're trying to catch flying hot dogs. It's a sign of shock. Anyway, you didn't think goblins existed, but you said the words, and here I am. Yeah, I guess I'm a little surprised. Right. Well, let's get down to business. What am I here for? I'm... I'm not sure. Hey, cheese dip, you called me, not the other way around. You must have something going on that's causing you troubles, or else you wouldn't have said the magic words. I suppose I said those words, half-joking. I didn't think this would happen. Well, it did. Now spill the beans, burrito. At this point, considering everything that had happened... I went ahead and told this booger monster everything. 
I thought to myself, maybe he could actually help. He sat and listened carefully and patiently. His expression didn't change much, and he didn't say anything or ask anything until I got done. Your case isn't anything new. I've heard this before, many times. Troubles with a boss are pretty common. Now, what do you want me to do? I'm not entirely sure. What can you do? I see you haven't done your homework. Look, I can do just about anything you ask. If you want me to kill her, I can do that easily. I can make it quick and look natural. Or I can make it slow and look messy, like someone dropped a sloppy joe on white carpet. No, I don't, I don't think I want her dead. That seems pretty severe. That's what a lot of people say. Unfortunately, in the professional world, a good maiming doesn't keep upper-level management down. It just makes the chip on their shoulder get bigger. Good to know. Still, I don't want her dead. I don't think. Can you maybe give her a good scare? The kind that might set her straight and change her ways? That's a bit of an investment. It'd have to be a reoccurring thing. Well, usually it's reoccurring. The one-night Ebenezer effect is a bit rare. To scare someone into changing who they are could take weeks, even months, with some follow-up visits. I think that might be best. Okay, fine. I'll begin the process in the next 12 hours. Please wait two to three business days for the first progress report. Oh, and you read the fine print, right? Fine print? From the book or the manual or periodical or whatever it was that you used to summon me. I reassured him that I had. In reality, though, I hadn't. The words are small and the copy's really long and full of legal mumbo-jumbo. Like anyone else would, I skipped over the reading those whenever I saw them. Nonetheless, I said I did and a little green terror left. I wasn't sure what to do or even what to think over the next day. It wasn't like the goblin had a cell phone I could call, a text, and see how things had gone. And to be fair, I was still in disbelief over all this anyway. Who knew? Maybe it was just a very vivid dream or some elaborate prank. Monday morning came around, like it always does, and I headed to work. By that point, I was actually curious if anything did in fact happen between Brenda and the Goblin. As soon as I walked into the plant, I found all of my co-workers grouped together by the HR office. I saw Janie and asked her what was happening. I'm not sure. Mr. Swampo told everyone to gather around because he has some announcement to make or something. What's it about? I don't know. He just said that we all need to hear what he has to say. I'm sure if we listen to him, we'll find out what's going on. A few moments later, Mr. Swampo, the uh, HR manager, came out of his office and stood in front of the group of us. He looked as though he'd been crying and uh, took a minute to ready himself. Attention employees of the Mooey Chewy Beef Jerky Plant. It is my unfortunate duty to let you all know that last evening, <laughs> tragedy befell one of our own, Brenda Tut. The floor supervisor that all of us have come to love and respect over the past few weeks was hounded this morning of a heart attack. She will be missed by all. I know this is a shock, and I know many of you are hurting as per the ownership of Mooey Chewy Beef Jerky for today. We are Closing down the plant to honor beautiful Brenda's memory. A grief counselor will be visiting when operations resume to console any of you that may need it. In the interim, I encourage you all to head home 
and reflect on this amazing woman that we have lost? What is our loss is heaven's gain? A new angel is in the great beyond. Godspeed. Mr. Swampo made the speech and then ran back into his office, slamming the door. We could hear him sobbing uncontrollably. I was shocked, to say the least. Here it was that I had summoned this goblin, and I instructed him just to give Brenda a good, life-changing scare. I remember telling him specifically that I didn't want her to be killed. I started to feel a bit sick about everything. It was a good thing we were being let out early. On my drive back home, I remember feeling a certain sadness over Brenda. I felt responsible for her demise, and honestly, I was sort of mad at the goblin. I mean, sure, Brenda was a tough person. One might even call her mean, or nasty, or callous, or cruel, or sadistic, and maybe even evil. But I mean, I didn't want her dead. I remember walking into my house and thinking that I was going to try and get a hold of the goblin and ask him what had happened. But as I walked in, I realized I wouldn't need to call him at all. He was sitting on the couch, watching TV, drinking a soda, and eating beef jerky. Well, look who's home. What are you doing? Chilling and jerking. You were at work, so I let myself in. Yeah, I can see that. We need to talk. Okay, how about on the next commercial break? <laughs> no, now. Okay, fine. You don't seem pleased. I'm not. I went into work today, and they announced that Brenda had died of a heart attack. I told you not to kill her. Relax, Milton Maltball. I never killed her. Well, guess what? She's dead. You want to explain that to me? There's not much to say. I went and found her and then gave her a good scare. Next thing I know, she dropped dead. Bad ticker, I'm guessing. Did you know that was going to happen? Nope. I went there and did my thing. Which is? A lot of jumping out at her, hissing and some frolicking, but like evil frolicking. I'm not a cardiologist, I'm just a goblin. Her physical condition isn't my concern. Besides, what's the big deal? You wanted her out of your life, and now she's gone. Maybe for the better, too. That boxer was into some weird stuff. I feel responsible. I think I should call the police. Do what you want, mutton chops, but good luck trying to explain the situation to them. No, I mean, the goblin was right. <laughs> what was I going to tell the cops? That I had summoned a goblin and instructed him to scare my boss, and that in the process she died of a heart attack. Yeah, okay. Hey, you should get more channels. What? TV channels. You need more. Why? I use streaming services mostly. Cable TV is becoming antiquated. Oh, okay. You're one of those contemporary media viewers. I dig it. Show me how I can log on to your accounts. What are you talking about? You know, you know what? what are you even doing here? We're bound now. What does that mean? You summon a goblin, the goblin does your bidding. Then you pay the goblin back until the goblin deems that your debt has been repaid. I don't follow. Ah, there we have it. You didn't read the fine print. Fine print? The... Oh. The fine print in the book. That you and my neighbor told me to read. That's right, nutty boy. The fine print clearly says that I do you a favor, then you serve me till I feel you've paid your debt. Now, don't sweat it. 
Lots of my brethren will hold people on the payback to some pretty great lengths. But I'm modest, and you seem like a decent dude, so I'll go easy on you. I have to do you a favor now? That's right. And if I don't, then what? I had a feeling you didn't read the fine print. And this isn't the first time that someone has skipped the fine print, so my people had something made to show the consequences of backing out of the deal. Read this. The goblin tossed a thick, stapled pack of papers in front of me. This packet of papers was a dossier showing how goblins had made people's lives miserable throughout the years. Specifically, people who didn't live up to their end of the deal. There were examples going as far back as several hundred years. This document also had a fine print, which I did read, but only for a little bit. I got the picture pretty early on. Goblins have caused misery of varying degrees for a long time. They're pesky, resourceful, and unrelenting. I didn't want to believe that what they were capable of was possible, but by this time, I had learned that anything was possible. I weighed my options. Do what he says and be a servant, or, you know, try and stuff him in a garbage bag and pretend that I never met him. Unfortunately, I felt the former was a better option. So, what do you say? You gonna play ball, or am I gonna have to get all goblin-y up in this place? Alright. What do you want me to do? Don't look so glum, Goose. You're just going to show me a good time. Nothing evil or illegal. Trust me, it could be a lot worse. Just one dude showing a goblin the time of his life. And that brings me to today, where I'm still repaying this debt and acting as the goblin's personal servant. What a story indeed. And what does your life look like now, being bound to this gobbly goblin? Huh. Where to start? First... He moved in, and is crashing on the couch. He's made himself at home, undoubtedly. He watches a lot of TV, and eats all my food, despite the fact that I've taken him to nearly every restaurant in Eastridge. He said he wanted to sample our cuisine, even though I don't think he realizes we're not exactly a foodie's paradise. He says he's trying to improve his hygiene, so I've had to bathe him and even clip his toenails. Oh, he loves the public pool, so that's been a regular stop. He's taken a liking to go-karting and mini-golf, so we've been to the East Ridge Fun Center about a dozen times. We've done wood palette painting, and uh, let's see what else. Oh, we've even gone to see the community players troupe perform. He's got a thing for the works of Ibsen. I wanted to take him to bingo at the Civic Center, uh, because I think he would have loved that, but they were closed for some debate. Tonight we're... Oh, uh, sorry, I, th I think your assistant's trying to get your attention. Oh, goodness. Yes, Winston? Ah, uh, Mr. Piedmont! There's a little thingy here, in the lobby. He says he wants to speak to Mr. Brantworth. Winston, please clarify. We've talked about this. Oh, uh, I think he's saying the goblin is here looking for me. <laughs> he was waiting in the car while I did this. Uh, do you want to tell him I'll just be another minute? Not really, but I think he's actually coming toward the studio. Out of my way, dead boy. Hey! Yo, crouton, let's shake and bake. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Ah, shoe shopping. A favorite pastime of my own. No, no, not shoe shopping. Tonight we're going to the casino. I took him gambling on one of the first nights and he fell in love with the roulette wheel. His little eyes light up every time it spun. Ah, well, the best of luck to you two. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Why don't we wrap this up, then? Make it quick, Karloff. These hands are feeling hot. Certainly. We want to thank our special guest, Milton Brownwell, who has regaled us with his tale of how he came to be in the service of a goblin. A very intriguing story, undoubtedly. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully a bit of warning to, to always read the fine print so you don't end up indentured to a goblin. Indeed a fine lesson. We want to thank our presenter, Crimson Knight Productions, for all of their help in producing this broadcast that you're witnessing. To keep up to date with all things Volumes of Fear related, locate us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Listeners, I'm Piedmont Montgomery, and this has been another edition of Volumes of Fear. Don't forget to share the scare and like the lunacy. This episode of Volumes of Fear featured the acting talents of Christopher Speedus, Shannon Riley, Rachel Collins, Odello Segura Jr., Nathan Pratt, J.C. Rositas, Andy Collins, and Josh Berkey. It was produced by Andy Collins and J.C. Rositas and written by Andy Collins. Post-production was supervised by J.C. Rositas. Audio editing and mixing was by David Thompson. Artwork was provided by Derek DeBoer. This episode was presented by Crimson Knight Productions. Visit them online at vivacomp.net. Like Volumes of Fear on Facebook and Instagram, or you will suffer horrible things. <laughs>